This is District Sentinel Radio, that newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We're broadcasting out of Terry's to use knife and sword emporium here in Pistown, Washington, D.C. This will be the last day that we're broadcasting out of Terry's to use knife and sword emporium. You can name our studio by subscribing on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel and contributing at the uh, sponsor tier, the studio sponsor tier. Name our studio for the month. Now's the time. Strike while it's hot. Also, it's always in general a good time to sign up to our Patreon because it's Thursday and the garbage can nominations are open. Get your garbage can nominees in. See John Chait has been nominated. Hope to see some Sagar and Jetties nominated. <laughs> uh, Sagar, Sagar, you're a fucking clown. Uh, you're a fucking dipshit. And uh, eat my shit. You can also get your uh, honor can nominations. And speaking of which, two favorite things merged today. The post office and Bernie Sanders... Word coming out that the 200,000-strong postal union has endorsed the burn, Bernie Sanders. It's hella good news. We need to interview someone from the postal union. That's right. It was. Uh, we'll get someone on next week it, from the it, postal it, union. One thing that was great to see, too, was how like minutes after the endorsement was announced, Bernie was bragging about it. Well, not bragging about it. That's, that's a loaded term. But he was talking about it on Twitter being like, I am so proud to receive this endorsement. And it was just, it's, God, it's so, it was adorable. I remember in 2016 watching the election and seeing Hillary Clinton pick up all these endorsements. And every now and then Bernie would pick up one and be like, hell yeah, Bernie got an endorsement. And now it just seems like Bernie's picking up just endorsements every day from these massive working people organizations. That's right. It's fantastic. A lot of local unions have come out for Bernie. I think what, the, the nurses union has had already come out for Bernie. Uh, there, there are not many nationals that have weighed in at this point, though. And so, to get a, a, a national union, the postal workers, no less, too. Everyone loves yeah. uh, their letter carriers. We have a lot of letter carriers who listen to this show. Uh, some of my favorite listeners there are out there. Shout out to our letter carriers. <laughs> some of our favorite listeners are mail carriers. <laughs> more and more people are recognizing the wonderful work that is being done by letter carriers. We love the letter carriers, folks, don't we? <laughs> we do. We do. I still believe, and I've said this a lot, and I still believe that Bernie's toughest test is in the primary. Not the general, but the primary. And here we are, a couple days out from Iowa. He's in the best position He's ever been in, in this race and in 2016. It's getting real. Well, if I were the postal workers and I wanted to help ensure that Bernie Sanders uh, will coast to victory, I would simply tear up the mail-in ballots <laughs> that are going to every other candidate. <laughs> All right, it's Thursday, January 30th, 2020. Here's the news. While the Senate is putting the President of the United States on trial, the House of Representatives again tried to shut down the Trump administration's warmongering. On Thursday, the House passed a pair of bills put forward by Democratic doves Ro Khanna and Barbara Lee, 
Khanna's bill would prohibit any federal funding from going toward a war with Iran unless such a war was authorized by Congress. It's similar to a measure that Khanna was able to attach to the defense spending bill last year. Unfortunately, it was stripped out by Senate Republicans before final passage. Khanna's measure passed the House on Thursday in a 228 to 175 vote, with four Republicans supporting the measure, as well as Independent Rep Justin Amash, as well as Independent Rep Justin Amash. Three Democrats, meanwhile, opposed the measure. Pennsylvania's Connor Lamb, Oregon's Kurt Schrader, and Utah's Ben McAdams. Maybe look up their office numbers and call them up and tell them what you think about that. Rep. Barbara Lee's bill, meanwhile, which passed in a 236 to 166 vote, repealed the 2002 Iraq AUMF, which the administration had used as justification to assassinate Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Like Khanna's bill, Lee had originally gotten her measure attached to last year's defense spending bill, only to see it stripped out by Mitch McConnell when the Senate considered it. Lee got 11 Republicans to support the AUMF repeal today. Two Democrats opposed it. One of them was, again, Connor Lamb. The other was Tennessee's Jim Cooper. Barbara Lee voted against the 2002 AUMF as well as the 2001 AUMF. She was the only member of Congress to vote against the 2001 AUMF, Queen. She's been trying to repeal both authorities ever since. Lee has in recent years achieved a critical mass of support to pass legislation out of the House doing so. Her repeal efforts have yet to pass in the Senate and unfortunately won't this year either. Yet another reminder that the Constitution is shit since you can't even get Congress to assert its authority laid out in the Constitution to declare war. When are we going to make those uh, Constitution toilet paper rolls? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we can't forget about that. We can't. We cannot. That is our retirement ticket, baby. An update on President Trump's ongoing efforts to criminalize asylum seeking. It was one year ago this week that the president implemented his remain in Mexico policy, forcing tens of thousands of people fleeing danger at the southern border to wait for asylum hearings outside of the United States. Yesterday evening, President Trump added another country to the Remain in Mexico list, Brazil. The Department of Homeland Security announced the change, saying that the number of Brazilian nationals arriving at the southern border has tripled in the last year. Reuters reported that Border Patrol has arrested almost 18,000 Brazilians in the same time frame, an increase by a factor of 12 of almost 12 on a year-over-year basis. Brazilians have left their country in increasing numbers since 2018, with the rise of far-right President Jair Bolsonaro. Last summer, AFP noted the number of documented Brazilians in Portugal increased that year by 23.4% to 100,000. Around the same time, The Guardian interviewed four prominent Brazilians who had fled the country, noting they faced, quote, threats from paramilitary gangs and right-wing extremists. This also appears to have driven the recent cohort of Brazilian migrants showing up on the U.S.-Mexico border to seek safety. Hypothesis, they're also much poorer than those heading to Portugal. It's no surprise we're turning them away for many reasons, and it certainly doesn't help their case that Bolsonaro is an ally and friend of our shitty reactionary president. 
Last week, Bolsonaro also authorized the second deportation in the past few months by plane from the U.S. to Brazil. Telesur noted that the last time Brazil had accepted any such flight was in 2006. Ironically, Congress first legalized asylum seeking in the late Cold War era to accommodate people fleeing communist countries. Now it's being criminalized with an uptick in people running from right-wing allies of the U.S., countries like Brazil and Honduras. Got a fresh new report on the F-35 here. hey yo. <laughs> the F-35, the most expensive weapon system in history and one that works like shit. We've routinely documented the failings of the F-35 strike fighter jet, which is expected to cost the U.S. government more than $1.5 trillion to develop. That's roughly the cost of the Iraq war in dollars. Well, the Pentagon is out with its latest test of the plane, and it found more than 800 flaws with it, including serious malfunctions that could affect safety or combat capabilities. That's actually an improvement from last year when testers discovered more than 900 flaws with the plane's software. The test also found that the F-35's 25-millimeter guns weren't accurate, were causing fractures when they were housed in the plane. Ultimately, the F-35 fleet is still unable to pass a basic test known as the Mattis test, named after former Defense Secretary James Mattis, which stipulates that the aircraft be capable 80% of the time needed to perform at least one type of combat mission. That's, that's too much to ask, though. It's too much to ask right now of the F-35 fleet. Pentagon admitted that, quote, no significant portion of the U.S.'s F-35 fleet was able to achieve and sustain that goal. Clearly uh, a complete disaster unless you're looking at it from the perspective of how many fucking McMansions have been built in northern Virginia (laughs) (laughs) thanks to this weapons program. Finally, the Trump administration is seeking to allow banks to engage in even more risky behavior. Today, five banking regulators proposed a so-called covered funds rule tweak. It would allow federally insured banks to increase their exposure to hedge funds and private equity firms. Martin Grunberg, a Democratic member of one of those agencies, said he voted against advancing the proposal. The FDIC board member said it will enable large banks to once again have a stake in high-risk funds like those that, quote, contributed to the failure or near failure of large financial firms in the 2008-2009 financial crisis. In a footnote, Grunberg cited the role in the collapse of both Bear Stearns and Goldman Sachs. Our classic friend there, Goldman Sachs. Not related. (laughs) Perhaps the rule won't be enacted in time to crash the economy. Not related. Today, the latest quarterly numbers from the Commerce Department were out, and they show economic growth slowing to 2.3% lowest it has been in the Trump era. Left-leaning economist Dean Baker noted that this means the Trump administration has only exceeded President Obama's second-term economic performance by one-tenth of a percentage point. This is despite Republicans passing into law a huge corporate tax giveaway, which they said would be a cure to the country's obunglernomic woes, albeit not in those exact words. Baker also noted that the government spending was driving what lackluster growth we had last quarter, citing a 4.9% increase in military spending as helping the economy punch above its weight. 
That music means the newscast has ended and it's time to move on to the poetry portion of the show where we read haiku for all our new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. This first one goes out to Christian. Watching impeachment just to see Adam Schiff get blackpilled in real time. Thank you, Christian. This is for Duncan. The Constitution is not a suicide pact. Either way, it sucks. Thank you, Duncan. Finally, this is for Lido. Coronavirus. Now that I have your attention, Sonic, still pregnant. (laughs) Thank you, Lido. Yes, thank you, Lido. And thanks to all the new subscribers on Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. I know we got a uh, few subscribers today when that dipshit from the Hill Morning Show, Sagar and Jetty, went after us. <laughs> thank you if you subscribe today. Uh, we'll get to your haiku next week. All right, one last thing to do before the show ends today, and that is to play a message on the listener rant line. The only place in the podcasting universe where you can get round-by-round coverage of the Awful Pundit Tournament. Hey, Sentinel Gang. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sam. It's Slater. I wanted to call in with an update on the tournament. The round of 64 is over, and the round of 32 is currently in progress. I wanted to give a rundown of all the matches currently taking place or that will take place in this second round. We have Max Boot versus Bill Kristall. Jonathan Shape versus Dan McLaughlin, the baseball crank. Brett Stevens versus Anna Navarro. John Favreau versus David Frum. We've got Katie Hopkins versus Chris Eliza. Jennifer Rubin versus Dennis Prager. David Brooks versus Sean Hannity. Mike Huckabee versus Stephen Miller, Red Steves. Ann Coulter versus Joanne Reed. Barry Weiss versus Bethany Mandel. Eli Lake versus Kurt Schlichter. Megan McCardle versus Tucker Carlson. Dana Loesch versus Kevin D. Williamson. Laura Ingram versus Jake Tapper. Stephen Pinker versus Piers Morgan. And Clara Jeffrey versus Ben Shapiro. And so that's the round of 32. Anyone can take it. It's anyone's game. Some guys are really coming in hot right now. Um, The only thing I really want to say to wrap this up is please subscribe to the Awful Pundit Tournament Patreon. There is a baseball card reward, and you will get access to premium polls during the regular season that will be weighted for increased value towards abundance chances of making the 2021 tournament. That's all. Uh, Slater out. (laughs) Shaping up to be quite a tournament this year. That's right. And, yeah, definitely subscribe to uh, Slater's Awful Pundit Tournament on Patreon. All right, uh, the rant line is 202-684-6108. Leave a message. We will play it on air. That's the show. We're back tomorrow for our subscribers with the Garbage Can Show. For everyone else, we're back next week. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.